The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, welcome to MMA on the Rocks, episode number 26. Today is Sunday, December 4th, and I'm joined by Jeff the Animal Wilson. Jeff, it's been a couple of weeks since you've been on the show, and it'll be a couple of weeks until you're here recording a show in Florida. How you feeling, Jeff? I feel awesome. I'm counting down the work days left until vacation, so I am ready to roll. Awesome. Yeah, it'll be good to have you down here. I, uh... Now we we text pretty much daily, but I haven't heard your sultry voice in a while, so it's uh, it's good to have you back on. It's great to be on. I've been a little bit busier with work, but uh, I got some work done early throughout the week, so I'm rocking and rolling. Let's do it. There we go. Yeah, well, shit happens. You know, we can't always just drink and talk about fights all the time because then life would just be too grand, and uh, you know the universe can't allow it. Fair assessment. Yeah, so um, I had a pretty awesome day today. I'm kind of tired, but uh, I want to tell you a little bit about it before we get into, you know, all the fight action we had this weekend, which there was a lot of it. I mean, we had the Tough 24 finale. There was EBI on Friday. There was Bellator. Uh, I'm sure there was a couple of other things. I know there was a Titan FC on Friday, uh, all, all kinds of shit. But I went this morning, and it, I, I want your opinion whether or not I broke even today because I'm still kind of debating. I feel like I got a good workout, and I rode my bike to yoga and by riding my bike to yoga i mean i rode my bike to a brewery in my neighborhood that does yoga so it's like a four mile ride to the brewery and then i do an hour of yoga and then they give you a beer at the end but then i helped them move some furniture around so they gave me another beer and then i rode my bike up to the next town about seven miles on the bike trail and then I had a burger and maybe two or three more beers. And then I rode my bike back. And I'm still debating whether or not I broke even calorie-wise. So it's probably like 24 miles biking, an hour of yoga, but like five beers. And I'm drinking another one now. And I had a burger and fries. So I don't know how that balances out. I don't know how to count macro calories or any of that shit. Does that sound like... Like I broke even to you? Yeah, you're fine, dude. All right. I mean, it's fine. All right. In that case, I'm gonna I'm gonna have another beer after we're done here. Then. <laughs> so this this brewery, which which I'm gonna take you to in a couple of weeks, is awesome. It's called Barley Mo, and they do yoga every other Sunday. So the first and third Sunday of the month. So they'll be doing it while you're here, and their beer is fucking amazing. And they rotate their drafts all the time. So, you know, you go in on Sunday and you go back on Wednesday and they'll have completely different beers. And they got a lot of seasonals right now. They got some, and I know I've talked about them many times on the show before, and they had like all the pumpkin porter and they had a curry pumpkin during fall and everything like that. Now they have like gingerbread and they got um, maple and they got like a tinsel beer and, and they're all awesome. Like I've never, I've never had a bad beer. 
Barley Mill Brewing. So if you ever find yourself in the Tampa Bay area, definitely pop in, check them out, and uh, give them a try. I don't think they distribute too widely, but if you're in this area, you can usually find their beers in uh, grocery stores and stuff like that. But uh, check them out for sure. So <clears throat> I want to start, which, you know, probably the biggest event of the weekend was last night's Ultimate Fighter 24 finale, which was live and free on Fox Sports 1, which is always nice because you don't have to buy a pay-per-view or figure out where you're going to go and watch it. And it was headlined, this was kind of unique because it was only the second time in history, it was headlined by a championship fight in which the winner of the Ultimate Fighter challenged the current UFC flyweight champion, Demetrius Johnson. So the guy who won the Ultimate Fighter, Tim Elliott, he was a plus 500 underdog in this fight against mighty mouse johnson and uh he, he put on him in the first round i'm i mean i scored the first round of 10-8 for tim elliott i don't know how you saw it jeff but uh after that it was pretty much all mighty mouse but i, I feel like at no point was tim elliott out of the fight like he he put up a really good struggle against mighty mouse and you know, he, he made him keep working the entire fight. He didn't give him a chance to, to rest or or anything like that. Every time Mighty Mouse moved, Tim Elliott was trying to counter or he was smacking him in the head or he was he was doing some kind of wacky stuff. So what was your take on this fight, Jeff? Yeah, I definitely agree with you on the first round. You know, Tim Elliott really brought it, man. Uh, I was really surprised with that first round, and it looked like he had – uh, Mighty Mouse in some deep water at first because he did drop him at least one time yeah. with, uh, and I think it was an uppercut. And uh, but after that, uh, the later rounds, I, I felt like it was all Mighty Mouse. And uh, while Tim Elliott was never out of the fight, I don't think he was really in the fight anymore after that first round. It was just uh, Demetrius on top, you know, moving around really well. He couldn't lock anything up. Uh, I felt like, you know, he did his job. He went out there and uh, did more to win. Yeah, I think what happened was, so Tim Elliott, Tim Elliott has a very unorthodox style, uh, very similar to Dominic Cruz, who's one of the only people to ever beat Mighty Mouse. And, of course, that was at a higher weight, and that was probably five years ago or so. And uh, Tim has done some training with Dominic Cruz, and he said he kind of modeled himself after him a little bit because Dominic beat him up in the gym. So he said, you know, if you can't beat him, join him. And he tried to model his style after Dominic Cruz's, which is where he kind of gets a sideways stance and kind of the wacky stuff he does. But he admits that he's not as athletic as Dominic Cruz and he's not as talented as a, of a martial artist. So he kind of relies on just being scrappy. And uh, I think that unorthodox style is really what played to his advantage in that first round because it threw Mighty Mouse off, and he got rocked. He got caught. I think it was a counter hook, or it might have been an uppercut. I think you were right. And it dropped him hard. And then he had a really tight guillotine um, that Mighty Mouse was able to, you know, all the credit in the world to him. He stayed composed, and he was able to slip out of it. But, again, I thought it was a very dominant round for Tim Elliott and uh, I scored it a 10-8 for him. But I think once Mighty Mouse was kind of able to figure out Tim's patterns and he was able to gain his composure back, then, you know, we saw pretty much what we expected, which was total domination from Mighty Mouse. So if they were to 
fight each other again, which after la- I thought that fight was really exciting, and I was I was saying that they should book a rematch immediately because I don't really care to see uh, Benavidez Mighty Mouse three, uh, which is probably what they're going to have to do since Benavidez beat Henry Cejudo in a co-main event. But we'll get to that in a second. Um, yeah, so I think if they fought again, that it would benefit Mighty Mouse because now he knows what to expect. I feel like he figured out his patterns and, you know, his fight IQ is through the roof. Uh, what what this fight kind of solidified for me is something that I know you and I have, have debated in the past. And what it kind of solidified is that Mighty Mouse is not the pound-for-pound pound best fighter. Um, I I still believe that John Jones is the best fighter on the planet. And if George St. Pierre were to still be active, I would probably put him at a close second and then Dominic Cruz and probably Mighty Mouse fourth is where I would have him. And that's based on mostly body of work. Um, I, I thought last night Mighty Mouse showed some holes in his game. Uh, he had Tim Elliott in some really bad positions and it looked like his submission attempts were pretty sloppy i think five or six times he went for a rear naked choke and he didn't even attempt to put his hooks in he was just going for the neck and tim elliott was able to spin out of it every single time and it was it was like watching somebody make the same mistake over and over again so what are your thoughts do you still think mighty mouse is the top of the heap pound for pound or did last night change anything for your opinion jeff no, I think that Mighty Mouse is still the best fighter in the world, Bill. Um, and I I like what you said about uh, Mighty Mouse figuring out uh, Tim Elliott's patterns and everything. Because uh, Mighty Mouse learned quickly that he was not going to win on the feet. So he mm-hmm. took it to the ground, took it to his world, and uh, he did a, I think he did a good job. Uh, Tim Elliott's uh, grappling defense and submission defense were... Uh, pretty top-notch. He was getting out of some tricky stuff. Um, and while, you know, Mighty Mouse did not look his best uh, in terms of his jiu-jitsu, I feel like he's still learning. I feel like jiu-jitsu is one of the newer things he's added to his arsenal. Sure. So I feel like that's going to come along uh, as he keeps uh, training and fighting. Yeah. All right. Well, I think for for me it's just the body of work that that really comes into play because when you look at the list of people that John Jones has gone through and i mean he's he's never he's never really lost a fight he had the disqualification against Matt Hamill and in that fight he was beating the brakes off of him i mean he manhandled him threw him to the ground and he got disqualified for you know the 12 to 6 elbows which you didn't even know were illegal but if you look at you know, all the former champions he's gone through and finished. I mean, he's beaten Brandon Vera, who used to fight at heavyweight. He's beaten Vladimir Matyushenko, who's a legend. Ryan Bader submitted him, who's a top contender right now. Uh, won the belt from Shogun Hua, knocked him out. Uh, submitted Rampage Jackson, former champion. Choked out Lyoto Machida, former champion, legend of the sport. Left him in a heap like a pile of laundry. Beat Rashad Evans, former champion. Submitted Black Belt, uh, Vitor Belfort, Chael Sonnen, Gustafson, Teixeira. And then Daniel Cormier, former Olympian, took him down. Used to fight at heavyweight and couldn't win one round against John Jones. I think if you look at that body of work compared to the competition that Mighty Mouse has had, and that's not his fault. I can't fault him for the people they put in front of him. 
because that's the division that they have. But I just feel like he hasn't faced the same level of competition. And I would say the same for George St. Pierre, just the, the body of work and what he's been able to do against who he's been able to do it to. And that that's kind of what does it for me. And um, I don't know. I guess we'll we'll just uh, there's there's really no answer to this. I mean, there's no there's no right or wrong. It's just it's really just opinion. But I think that there's just too many variables at play. But um, any of that swaying you, or you're still standing your ground? Uh, you know, uh, I know that John Jones's resume is really really nice, but when I look at you know the terms of speed and and the sheer athleticism. I think Mighty Mouse just gets it, man. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I feel like pound for pound, uh, same weight class, same size. If you put Demetrius Johnson and John Jones in the same cage, I feel like Demetrius Johnson walks away with it. Yeah. Well, and and that's why that's where um, you know pound for pound kind of becomes bullshit because it's like you know Demetrius Johnson's main strengths are his speed and his transitions he's able to transition from from one martial art to the next pretty seamlessly um but you know if he were 205 pounds would he have the same speed would it you know would it still play a factor and if you know if john jones were 125 pounds you know it's like there there's just too many variables at at play there but i i see i definitely see what you're saying and i can definitely see the argument for him I mean, look, the guy's defended his belt what nine times now. Yep. I think. I think. Uh, I think Anderson Silva is the only person with more. Yeah, and it. I think. I think Mighty Mouse needs one more. You got to remember with Anderson Silva though, he had. They don't count his fight with Travis Luter as a title defense because Travis Luter didn't make weight. So, oh, okay, okay. So there is that in there. I so I think Mighty Mouse needs one more to pass Anderson, but. Um, you know, I would I would count the Travis Luter fight as a defense because he still took the fight and he still beat him. I mean, tapped out one of the one of the best black belts on the planet. But he, you know, because Luter didn't make weight, it didn't count as a title defense. In any case, I'm sure we could go. <laughs> I'm sure we could dedicate an entire episode to this. But um, I think it was a great night for the flyweights because this is a division that uh, I'll be honest, I don't really. I don't really care for because, you know, Mighty Mouse is blowing through all the competition. I mean, he's beaten everybody. He's cleaned out the division. And uh, I, I couldn't get into the season of Ultimate Fighter either. I know they, you know, season of champions or whatever they were calling it. And they had all these guys who were brought in, you know, from from other organizations. They were champions there. But uh, I thought the Benavidez-Cejudo fight was awesome i don't really think the judges got it right especially the judge who had it 30 26 for benavidez i thought that was fucking ridiculous um i i scored this fight a draw and that was because of the point deduction in the first round if you remember uh cejudo uh kicked benavidez in the balls twice so the referee i think it was eve levine had to uh yeah it was eve levine he deducted a point from cejudo and uh, first of all, so that's the first question. Do you agree with the point deduction? And then how did you score the fight, Jeff? Uh, I actually thought that the point deduction was a little harsh, Bill. Uh, I disagreed with it. Uh, so I actually had uh, Benavidez as the winner. 
Um, you know, I didn't think it was a draw. I thought Benavidez won every single round. Uh, he did a good job of keeping it on the feet. And on the feet, he was just better. Uh, I felt like uh, Cejudo just didn't do enough to win. Okay. So I feel like, uh, so strike-wise, they were pretty much dead even. Uh, they landed the same amount of strikes. I think Cejudo landed a few more body shots, and Benavidez landed a few more head shots. Damage-wise, Benavidez definitely looked more beat up at the end of the fight. The difference for me were the body kicks. Now, when Benavidez would land a body kick, you would hear a, a loud smacking noise. And when Cejudo would land a body kick, you would hear a low thud. Now, for anyone who's ever been kicked in the body, the the kicks that make the loud smacking noise don't hurt as much. They'll sting a little bit, but the kick is the kicks that make like a low thud noise. That's when the shin is really digging into the body, and those hurt a lot more. Those will really take the wind out of you, and those will really uh, take their toll as the fight goes on. But the loud sounding kicks will probably impress the judges more. So the way I scored it. I had rounds one and three for Cejudo, but with the point deduction in round one, that's why I had it scored a draw. I think Benavidez definitely won the second round, um, but I thought I thought Cejudo won the first round uh, for sure, and then the second two rounds were kind of a coin toss, but uh, I, I definitely didn't see it 30-26 for Benavidez. I thought that was kind of weird. But uh, Benavidez calling out Mighty Mouse. Do you want to see that trilogy fight? Or would you like to see something different for the flyweight division? No, um, I don't want to see part three, man. I mean, uh, Demetrius Johnson already beat Benavidez twice. Uh, he, yeah. Yeah, he's got nothing to prove. I would like to see... Uh, one of the bantamweights dropped down, dude. I'd like to see maybe TJ Dillashaw drop to 125, see how he does against uh, John Dodson, maybe see if he could pull that loss back. Uh, and just, you know, something to really mix up this division. Because, yeah. like you said, uh, as much as I love Mighty Mouse, he's cleaned out the division. Uh, I still really like the 125-pound division. I feel like it's so fast. These guys are like ninjas flying at each other. So I like that aspect of it. Yeah. But uh, in terms of uh, opponents and rivals for Demetrius Johnson, I think you got to drop somebody from bantamweight in there. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, there's just not a lot of guys this at this size. And, I mean, we kind of have the the syndrome that we had with with Ronda Rousey a couple of years ago where there was just there was just no competition for her. And then all of a sudden – you know the competition exploded and now that that's one of the most exciting divisions in the ufc but i i agree with you i really have no interest in benavidez and johnson i i mean what what would it actually prove because i know the first fight was close and it was a split decision and it was a great fight and but then you know benavidez got knocked out in the first round the second time they fought so and then cejudo who is like another top contender he got knocked out in the first round too so and then Tim Elliott, it seems like he's last night. You probably didn't hear because I think you were out at a bar watching this. But Elliott said he wants to move up to bantamweight. He said the the cut was too much, and and uh, having to cut to flyweight three or four times or whatever he did it on the show uh, really beat him up. And he said mm. that the weight cut for the fight last night was was really brutal, and he almost wanted to 
call it quits, but his coach had to talk him into it again. But um, I think Tim Elliott's stock uh, went through the roof last night. I mean, he's a very exciting fighter, and I think he proved it. He went in there fighting like somebody who had nothing to lose, and it paid off for him. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you do with this division right now. I mean, you got you got Ian McCall waiting in the wings too, who the guy can't seem to keep a fight because people keep pulling out on him, and he pulled out of his last fight due to an injury. Uh, and he fought Demetrius Johnson to a draw at their first fight. So th- there's a clear contender uh, if he can work his way back up to a title shot. But I, I honestly don't know what to do with this division. And Mighty Mouse has no interest in moving up to fight Dominic Cruz because he wants to break Anderson Silva's record. So uh, I don't know what comes next. I I mean, logic tells me it'll be Benavidez, Mighty Mouse 3, but eh. I mean, you can't make that a pay-per-view main event. You can maybe put that on TV, and if the undercard is good, I'll watch it. But, you know, it doesn't really excite me. Uh, so the, the fight before the co-main event ended rather obscurely, and I don't know if you fully understand what happened in this fight since you weren't did you were you able to hear the commentary where you were watching the fight no i was at a bar uh with a couple of uh, former teammates from the high school soccer team in my town so there was a lot a lot of music we couldn't hear what was going on but it looked a little weird the way it ended because yeah. it looked like ellenberger slipped and then his foot got caught in that space between the cage and the octagon mat yeah and his foot twisted a little weird so i thought he like broke his foot or something it was weird yeah so the official call was a tko so this was jorge masvidal uh masvidal versus jake ellenberger and uh this was a great fight it was pretty back and forth both guys got rocked a couple of times and um at towards the end of the first round ellenberger was going for a takedown and he was kind of diving at Masvidal and his foot got stuck in the cage. His, his so his foot was in between the the mat and the cage and then his toe was stuck in the cage and he's trying to pull his foot out and Masvidal, you know, you can't fault him for doing this either. He jumps on Ellenberger and he starts punching him while he's trying to get his foot out. So Herb Dean stops the fight. And he gives Ellenberger a chance to get his foot out of the cage. But the ruling was that that's not a fair reason to stop the fight and you can't call a timeout. So it had to be ruled a TKO for Masvidal because they couldn't restart the fight once Herb Dean stopped it. Mm. So it's shitty for Ellenberger because, you know, he was about to get cut before he knocked out Matt Brown in his last fight. And it's shitty for Masvidal, too, because here's a guy who has a great performance, and it's it's probably going to be overturned. I, I imagine that uh, Ellenberger's going to appeal this, and they'll make it a no contest. And it's shitty for Herb Dean, too, because he sees that Ellenberger is stuck in the cage. I mean, this is clearly just a freak accident. He wants to stop the action so he can safely get his foot out because the guy's trapped. He might not be able to defend himself. You know, not because he's knocked out, but because he's he's just stuck. And there's nothing in the rules that allows a timeout for something like that. And that that's the way it was explained. And they said once Herb Dean stopped the fight, it had to stop. But to me, this is the same as if a guy had, you know, tape hanging out of his gloves or, or something like that. And they would stop and, 
you know, somebody would come in and cut cut the tape, you know, so so these guys, you know, can fight safely. Um, to me, it should have just been restarted because Ellenberger wasn't knocked out. He was clearly fine. Um, he, he might not have been able to walk on his foot. I mean, it definitely was injured, and it looked swollen, and they were icing it after the fight, but I don't think it warranted a TKO. So at, after hearing all that new information, what are your thoughts on this, Jeff? Yeah, it was a little weird. Just that whole situation was really strange. I've never seen anything like that happen in the octagon. But, um, on, you know, it sucks for Jake Ellenberger and Jorge Masvidal. And the fans, dude, it was a, it was a really fun fight to watch yeah, up until that happened. For sure. So uh, I would like to see a rematch and maybe uh, if they could uh, turn this decision into a no contest or something just so, you know, it because it, I feel like the result did not reflect what happened. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like to see this maybe go to a no contest and then give them a rematch. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah, it was really unfortunate. After the fight, Jorge Masvidal kind of awkwardly called out Cowboy Cerrone, but um, his microphone skills are not the greatest. So it was it was kind of strange. He said, like, hey, Cowboy, if you win your next fight, you know, uh, I, don't, I can't even reiterate what he said, but basically he wants to fight Cowboy. How do you feel about that matchup? Do you think... Masvidal should be trying to move on, or do you still feel like he has something to prove against Ellenberger? I think he has something to prove against Ellenberger. And, you know, Jorge Masvidal, he's a really good fighter, but um, I don't think you want to call out Donald Cerrone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, um, so I think he needs to focus on Jake Ellenberger first, because last night, one, proved nothing, and two, Jake Ellenberger's a tough dude, man, so... Uh, I'd still be a little worried about that. Yeah, definitely. All right, so the fight before that was was a fucking war, and it was probably one of the better fights of the night. So it was uh, Ian Kutilaba and Jared Cannonier. I, I think I'm pronouncing those those names correctly. So these guys were were swinging heavily. Now Kutilaba is an aggressive aggressive fighter, and uh, I think Cannonier was just kind of trying to weather the storm, and he was able to outpoint him. What was your take on this fight? Did you catch this one? I did. I actually did did not like this fight, dude, like at all. It no. was bad, man. Uh, like, yeah, they were swinging really well. Uh, it was fun to watch them hit each other, but um, the takedowns for me, um, at least after the first round, the first round, Kutalaba landed some really nice leg sweeps and trips. But uh, after that, those takedowns got a little sloppy. Um, and once uh, once they got sweaty, they really couldn't hold on to each other. Yeah. And in the second round, they both looked exhausted. So for me personally, I was not crazy about this fight. All right. Fair point. Yeah. In fairness, I was I was a little distracted during this fight. I think I was... I was scrolling through Twitter, but or or something like that. But uh, it's it's good to hear your perspective on it. But but it seemed like every time I looked up, these guys were just like swinging bombs at each other. So, uh, I guess I was only half invested in it. So I think I I think I missed the boring parts. So it worked out great for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So. The, the last fight I want to touch on was the fight right before that. So Sarah McMahon uh, 
tapping out Alexis Davis with a nasty, nasty arm triangle choke. Did you see this one, Jeff? You know, I, I had just gotten to uh, the bar by my house when I saw this, and I just caught uh, the finish, uh, the arm triangle. So it was beautifully done. Uh, it, at first, uh, Sarah McMahon didn't have it. Then she readjusted, got out of the half guard, and finished it up. And as soon as she uh, locked it up, it was done. It was beautiful. I loved it. Yeah. And so for those who don't know it, the arm triangle choke is not like uh, a guillotine or like a rear naked choke where it kind of usually crushes your windpipe and somebody can tap right away. Much like uh, I'll use Nate Diaz against Conor McGregor the first time as an example where his windpipe just got crushed and he had to tap. So an arm triangle choke cuts off the blood flow to the brain by putting pressure on the carotid artery in the neck. And it's usually a slow choke because it slowly cuts off the circulation until your brain just shuts off. So that's what happened to Alexis Davis. And I don't know if you saw this, but after... The fight was over. She was laying on the mat, and there's a there's a picture going around the internet, and her face is just like purple. It's a completely different color than the rest of her body, and that's that's scary. I mean, that's that's some crazy submission skills by Sarah McMahon. And uh, she in the post fight interview, she was calling out the winner of Ronda Rousey and Amanda Nunez. Now, McMahon has losses against both of those ladies. Um. But the the woman she tapped out last night, Alexis Davis, has a win over Amanda Nunez. She uh, TKO'd her a couple of years ago. So what are your thoughts on McMahon's plea for a title shot here? Uh, McMahon's really good, dude. Uh, I'd like to see her get another title shot, actually. Um, but like you said, uh, she does have losses against both Nunez and Rousey. And, you know, uh, up until that win last night, uh, in her in her previous three fights before that, she had two losses, one to Amanda Nunez and one to Misha Tate. Yeah. So uh, as much as I'd like to see her get a title shot, uh, I don't think now's the best time, uh, especially with uh, that Rousey-Nunez uh, fight looming. Yeah. And then you have so many contenders waiting in the wings. Uh, I'm kind of curious what they're going to do with Valentina Shevchenko because, um, you know, she's coming off that win against Holly Holm. I don't know that she has another fight lined up. Um, I think it might be interesting for her to challenge the winner. Um, or or maybe, maybe there's somebody else ahead of her that I'm not thinking of. But, you know, she had a great performance against Holly Holm getting that upset there. Uh, what are your thoughts on Valentina maybe getting that title shot? Yeah, she's good, dude. She's a tough chick. I, I actually really enjoy watching her fight. Um, someone else who I've been uh, trying to follow is Sarah Morris. Uh-huh. Uh, she, she's got a couple wins under her belt, too. Uh, so I'd like to see maybe a title eliminator between Shevchenko and, uh, and Sarah Morris. Okay. Uh, I think that'd be I think that'd be interesting. And then maybe the winner of that could get the winner of Rousey Nunez. Yeah, that sounds fair to me. Let's book it. <laughs> Call Joe Silva. Yeah. Uh yeah, I got him I got him on the other line. So I usually <laughs> I keep him on hold cuz <laughs> because you're just so busy, dude. 
Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if you heard or not that uh, John Jones was recently on Joe Rogan's podcast. Did you hear about that? I did not. That's interesting. Yeah, so he uh, he broke his radio silence because he hasn't been talking to anybody. And, and uh, he wanted to come on this show, but... You know, I figure Rogan's on his way out, so I was like, John, you know what? Let let Rogan have this one, and uh, you know, I, I sent him on his way over to over to Rogan's show and let let him do that. I you know let Joe have his few last moments in the spotlight, right? <laughs> yeah, but dude, you you broke John Jones' heart, man. He was really looking forward to that episode. Yeah, I know, but he's like sober and everything too, so we can't really have that on this show. It just doesn't go with the model I've set up. Yeah, he's a lot less fun when he's sober. <laughs> it's true. I mean, he's he's making uh, much less news stories, but um, I I think a lot of people, a lot of people were beating Rogan up, of course, because you know everybody wants to see John Jones ripped apart right now, and I feel like Rogan was fair. You know, John Jones obviously had an agenda and he had things that he wanted to say and Rogan let him say it. And I think people criticize him for that. But, you know, Rogan gave him some tough love, too. I mean, he told him that he's disappointed to him. He told him to get his shit together. But uh, that was actually a really good listen. It was a good interview. I think they did like over an hour and a half. And it was it was good the whole time. And I don't know if you know or not. Also, um Next weekend, I believe, John Jones is going to face Dan Henderson in a grappling match. Did you hear about that? Oh, I did not. That sounds fun. Yeah. So that's the that's going to be the flow grappling. I think it's on uh, December 10th, I believe, the same night as UFC 206. I'll, I'll double check that and, and I'll tweet it out uh, when I find the date. But uh, how do you see that going? Because... I think John Jones has a considerable amount of size over Dan Henderson. I know they were, they were scheduled to fight at one point in the UFC, and it just kind of never culminated. But how do you see a grappling match between those two going? Um, I feel like John Jones, as good as he is, I feel like he'd be a little bit out of his element against Dan Henderson. Yeah. Um, in terms of, in terms of grappling, uh, you know. Uh, I don't know how much we've touched upon this, but I think we have in the past. Uh, wrestling and jiu-jitsu, for the sake of wrestling and jiu-jitsu, are very different from wrestling and jiu-jitsu for the purpose of MMA. Sure. Uh, so it's a whole different ground game we're talking about here. And I feel like Dan Henderson has enough experience uh, in that world of just grappling to take it to John Jones. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, John Jones was a high-level uh, Greco-Roman wrestler, I believe, and and Dan Henderson, I mean, he's got as much wrestling credentials as you can have in this country, I think. But obviously, Henderson a lot older and a lot smaller than Jones, so I think he's given up, jeez, how old is Henderson now? 47, and Jones is, yeah. Jones is 29, I believe. Uh, that's a big difference, and I mean Henderson is not a huge guy. I think when he was fighting at light heavyweight, I don't think he was even cutting any weight for that, and uh, he was bulked up. So he's really a middleweight. But uh, never bet against Dan Henderson is is the philosophy I always have because otherwise you're probably in ISIS. <laughs> yeah, he's Mister America at this point, dude. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so. 
Tough 24 finale. Great card. Uh, Ryan Hall fought Gray Maynard, who made his featherweight debut for some reason and looked ridiculous at the weigh-in. I mean, he looked like... Do you remember the movie The Mummy with Brandon Fraser? Yes. Yeah, and and when the, at the end when the mummy like disintegrates and turns into sand, basically. Yes. That's what Gray Maynard looked like at the weigh-ins when he tried to weigh in at 145 pounds. I mean, he was big as a lightweight. Yeah. Yeah. To, I mean, he has no business fighting at featherweight. I mean, he he looked horrible, and that was just unhealthy and. And Ryan Hall won a decision. I don't really care about that fight, so we won't dwell on it. Um, <laughs> but something else I want to touch on real quickly. Did you catch any of the Eddie Bravo Invitational on Friday night? I did not, unfortunately. I was watching Bellator 166. Okay. All right, so I want to get to that as well and get your take on it, too. I mean, there was so much going on this weekend. But uh, yeah. I, I watched EBI. And it's because I, I didn't catch Bellator because I went out on Friday. And um, EBI comes on so late because they start it late. Um, it's usually on the West Coast. This time it was in Mexico City, so it was at altitude. And this was the uh, Bantamweight Championship Tournament. So the feature fighter or grappler was Eddie Wolverine Cummings, who comes out of the Henzo Gracie Academy. He's part of the Donaher Death Squad that we've talked about on this show many many times you know with uh gary tonin and and gordon ryan and 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 that whole crew there so uh, and the reason i transition right into this is because of how awful gray maynard looked at the weigh-ins uh eddie cummings looked just as bad if not worse when he was trying to weigh in so eddie cummings is the the ebi featherweight champion and for those who don't know, the Eddie Bravo Invitational is a jiu-jitsu tournament. It's no gi, and they have a specific rule set that basically guarantees a winner because in a lot of these grappling tournaments, guys can go to draws or guys can just play for points, and it, it, it's very boring. So EBI can be very exciting. So uh, Eddie Cummings just cutting way too much weight, and, it, and it's just for grappling. So I don't really understand why he's doing that, especially when he has his teammate Gary Tonin who is really a lightweight, and in his last match, he won the light heavyweight championship. So he's going against guys like twice his size, basically. And here's Eddie Cummings trying to cut down to the weight class below, and uh, he lost in the finals. He got tapped out by Gio Martinez, who is a 10th planet uh, Eddie Bravo grappler. So what are your thoughts on the weight cutting with jiu-jitsu and and what's going on there with the uh the Danaher guys because usually they have their they have their shit together and to me this this was just a little bit odd that he was trying to cut so much weight and he he didn't look well at all yeah um Eddie Cummings the Wolverine uh dude uh, I remember you sent me a picture of him uh, after his weight cut, and he he just looked bad, dude. Uh, he looked like skin and bones. Yeah, uh, yeah, it wasn't healthy. Um, I'm not sure how he did in this weekend's tournament, but I don't think he has any business going cutting almost what like 30 pounds. Yeah, something like that. It, it must have been. I mean, he you know his skin was hanging off of him, and he just 
he made it to the finals of the tournament still because obviously he's one of the most elite grapplers on the planet. But in that final matchup, there was a couple of times where his his eyes just looked like he just had this blank look on his face and it looked like he was about to pass out. So, I mean, cutting all the weight and then they're at altitude in Mexico City. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were debating and saying like, oh, well, it's not dangerous because you can't really get concussed in jiu-jitsu. And yeah, of course, it's not as dangerous to cut weight in jiu-jitsu, but it's also not necessary because it's jiu-jitsu. The whole sport is based on smaller guys defeating larger guys that's that's where it all started that's that's how this all came about i mean when when ufc first started it was hoist gracie this this tiny little brazilian guy who's choking out these monsters because of you know the martial art that he practices and, and believing that it's the most effective martial art on the planet so it may not be like incredibly unsafe to cut a ton of weight for jiu-jitsu but in my opinion it's just unnecessary like why why bother i mean the guy's the guy's dominant at featherweight his teammate is is winning matches five weight classes above where he should be fighting uh i I just don't see a need for it i don't think these guys should even be weighing in or the day before i don't i don't find that necessary at all any thoughts on that yeah i agree man uh you know, jujitsu is the whole point of it is to just use technique to beat people. Yeah. No matter how big or small they are. So uh, I agree with you 100%, man. I don't think they should, these guys should be cutting weight dangerously when it's not necessary. Right. Yeah. Even though, even if, you know, there's, there's not that big of a chance that they'll get injured because of it. It's just, it's just silly and uh speaking of gary tonin i want to bring up a rumor that i heard today now gary tonin has kind of been teasing for the last couple of months or maybe even a year that he's been thinking about getting into mma now obviously gary tonin probably one of the best grapplers on the planet right now so he's another uh danaher death squad guy and he's been working at striking and things like that and today on his instagram he posted something that suggested that he may have his MMA debut coming up against, now I can never pronounce this guy's name, AJ As Asgalgram. Oh, I, um, hold on. I, I think I remember how to say it. Uh, well, while, while you're thinking about it, so AJ, Ag- we'll just go ahead. I think it's Agazarum. Yeah, something like that. A guy's room, I don't know. But yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yes. He got slapped around by Jake Shields. Yeah, in his last in his last fight, uh or his last uh you know, headlining grappling match, it was at Polaris grappling mm-hmm. tournament against Jake Shields. And Jake Shields completely dominated him and AJ was trying to gouge his eyes and stuff like that, so Jake Shields gave him the old Stockton slap at the end of the fight and called him a bitch in the in the post fight uh press conference, but or post-fight uh, interview, rather. So, Gary Tonin possibly making his MMA debut against this guy. Uh, what are your thoughts about uh, Gary Tonin coming into the MMA realm? I'd love to see that, man. Gary Tonin, so fun to watch on the mats. I'd love to see him get in the cage um, and, you know, put uh, put his grappling to, to the test. 
You know, we've seen a lot of really good grapplers be successful, like Demian Maya, for example. Um, what's his name? Fabricio Verdum. So, yeah, let yeah. him put the gloves on, man. Let him get in there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and obviously the Danaher Death Squad, they're known for their leg lock game. So these guys have a system of leg locks that's, you know, other teams are basically formulating game plans to try and counter the leg lock game that that these guys have put together thanks to their their coach John Donaher. But you don't see a whole lot of leg locks in MMA and this is something that I kind of wonder about but I also kind of get it because you know if you go for a leg lock in MMA and you don't get it you're going to end up on the bottom getting smashed and you're going to get punched in the face. So it's kind of like high risk high reward obviously because if you hit the leg lock you know, you, you get the heel hook on the first try, you win the fight. If you miss it, then, you know, you might be getting your nose smashed in. So how do you see Gary Tonin's approach in MMA? Do you think he's going to be diving after people's legs, or do you think he's going to try to utilize a smarter game plan? I think that uh, he's going to probably go for leg locks just because we saw Ryan Hall uh, – you know, win his, uh, win the ultimate fighter just using leg locks. Sure. Um, so, so, you know, if, if he's got that slick of a game, you know, let him go for it. Uh, I'd actually like to see him against Ryan Hall at some point, whether it be in grappling or MMA. Yeah. Uh, just to see how they do. And we know Ryan Hall is really good with that 50 50 position. Sure. Uh, but when it's Ryan Hall, it's probably like 75, 25. <laughs> yeah. So basically, yeah, so. the 50-50 just describes the entanglement of the legs. It's basically like your your legs are evenly interlocked. Um, yeah, so it would be interesting to see Gary Tonin uh, in MMA. And, and hopefully he stays in his own weight class and he, he doesn't try to fight light heavyweights in MMA because it might not work out as well as it did for him in the grappling realm. Uh, in any case, I want to touch briefly on Bellator 166, which I did not have a chance to see, but uh, I did catch some highlights. So the main event was a bantamweight fight, I believe, between Eduardo Dantes and Joe Warren. How did that one go down, Jeff? Because uh, you saw it. I didn't. Yeah, um, this was fight of the night for me. Uh, it's a rematch from a couple years back. Uh, and uh, Eduardo Dantes lost the first fight, but absolutely dominated on Friday. Okay. He made Joe Warren look like a joke, man. Really? Uh, yeah, he he was messing with him. It was kind of like watching Conor McGregor, where he was, you know, he was moving around really well, uh, egging Joe Warren on. At one point, uh, Dantes uh, punched Joe Warren in the face with a nice jab. And then he slapped his own legs, signaling, "Come on, try to take a shot at me." Um, <laughs> you know, so it was it was a very dominating performance from Dantes. He did everything really well, uh, used his range really well, and was just able to, you know, really, really make Joe Warren look bad. Oh, all right. So, uh, how was the rest of the card? Anything else worth mentioning? Uh, the only other fight I want to touch upon briefly is chris honeycutt defeating ben ritter or Ryder. uh it was a unanimous decision but chris honeycutt man he was he was laying the smackdown on him okay uh to quote the rock uh <laughs> so 
you know, he had him in some, he had a Ritter, Ryder, whatever, in some bad positions. And towards the end of the fight, he was just pummeling him. And the bell is really what saved Ryder because I thought that the ref was going to stop it. Oh, all right. So it was like right at the bell when he, was he on the ground beating him up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he kind of had like his back because uh, he had hooks in and he was just raining down bombs. Like the long and the short of the whole Bellator card there. Yeah, uh, there was also Marcus Galvao. He beat LC uh, Davis in split decision, but that wasn't too exciting for me. And AJ McKee beat Ray Wood, uh, also by UD. Uh, that was super exciting. Oh, all right. So I guess we could leave it at that then. Yep. All right. Cool. So we got. A- I mean, there's no break in the action because uh, this coming weekend, there's a fight night on Friday night, and then there's a pay-per-view Saturday night. So Friday is fight night 102 from Albany, New York, which is, you know, um, my old town. I lived in Albany for five years of my life. So it's at the Times Union Center, which used to be the Pepsi Arena when I was living there. And it's headlined by Derek Lewis and Shamil something, a guy with very few vowels in his name. <laughs> I think it's pronounced Abdurakimov. That sounds good to me. <laughs> um, so Derek Lewis, super exciting fighter, the the Black Beast. Uh, how do you, how are you feeling about this fight coming up on Friday? That looks really exciting, man. Uh, and you said it. Derek Lewis is so fun to watch. He hits super hard. Is you know he can drop anybody, so mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see his fight. Don't know too much about Abdurakimov though. Well, you know how to say his name, so you know more about him than I do. <laughs> oh, I'm just I'm just guessing. I'm probably saying it wrong. Yeah. All right. Well, let's say you're right. <laughs> so then, uh, uh, Francis and Ganu on that card as well. So that that's kind of exciting to me. Um, the rest of this card is like meh. Uh, Corey Anderson is on there, who's pound for pound, probably the most boring fighter on the roster. And <laughs> uh, Joe Gelati is on this card. He's the, f- the first fight on the card. But everybody thinks his name is pronounced uh, Gigliotti. That's the only re- reason I really remember him. But oh, his name, um... is, his, his name is spelled Gigliotti, but it's pronounced Gelati. In any case, uh, Saturday is the card where, you know, it's supposed to be Daniel Cormier against Anthony Rubble Johnson for the light heavyweight championship. Now we have, for some strange reason, an interim title shot, uh, title fight between Max Holloway and Anthony Pettis, uh, which you and I are both excited about, as well as the co-main event between Cowboy Cerrone and Matt Brown. Uh, So can you kind of give me some quick thoughts on these two fights? Oh, man, dude, super stoked for any time Cerrone fights. Uh, and he's he's up against some tough competition in Matt Brown, dude. I know Matt Brown has a couple of losses, but that does not take away from how dangerous he is. Uh, Donald Cerrone is, you know, making a, a quick rise in the welterweight division and a, a very active fighter, so I'm excited for to see them go at it. Yeah. And as for Max Holloway versus Anthony Pettis... 
two of the most exciting guys in that division. Uh, so I can't wait. Uh, but anyway, who do you who do you think is going to win in these two fights? See, that, that's interesting. I mean, Max Holloway is obviously on fire. Uh, Pettis is coming down from lightweight. He's only had one fight at at featherweight, and it seems to be a tough cut for him. So the fact that this is going to be a five-round fight and he only had a couple of weeks' notice, I think is going to play against him. So I think if Holloway can drag Pettis into deep waters, then he'll definitely have an advantage. But since Pettis has a size and power advantage, if he's able to end it quickly, uh, then... So basically my prediction is if it goes the distance, I would pick Holloway. If it doesn't go the distance, I would pick Pettis. Uh, that that's the way I kind of see it playing out. As for Cerrone and Brown, I mean, these guys are both so well-rounded. They're both good everywhere. Uh, there's no telling what could happen in this fight. Um, I, I think the winner of this fight will be everybody who watches it uh, because it's, it's going to be awesome. And then uh, Cub Swanson on this card as well. So he's always, he's always fun to watch. And then Tim Kennedy against Kelvin Gastelum at 185 pounds, maybe. Uh, Gastelum was able to get away from his suspension by paying a fine. So we'll see if he's able to make 185 pounds, which, you know, he's missed that weight before, too. So for anybody who isn't familiar with Kelvin Gastelum, he was supposed to fight in New York against Cowboy Cerrone, but he missed weight. So that fight was canceled. So now Cerrone and Gastelum on the UFC 206 card uh, in different weight classes now. So uh, thoughts on Gastelum and Tim Kennedy, Jeff? Uh, If, and I mean this is a very strong if, Gastelum can make weight, Uh um, I think he can beat Tim Kennedy. I think Gastelum, you know, when you take away... The, the whole weight problem thing, or at least making weight problem. I feel like Gastelum's a really talented fighter. Uh, he mixes up his striking and wrestling really well and uses his striking to set up submissions. Uh, so I feel like he can really beat Kennedy. Um, and as for Cerrone versus Brown, I think Cerrone can win it. Uh, I think he'll have to go into deep water, though. I think it's going to be a decision. And yeah. going to, to Holloway versus Pettis, I think Holloway is overall a better rounded fighter um not to take anything away from pettis who's an amazing fighter uh-huh. uh but i think holloway holloway has a little bit more in him to win that fight yeah i i agree on a, on almost all accounts i think kelvin gaslam could beat tim kennedy in maybe a pie eating contest but i think in a cage fight it's going to be a little bit more difficult i mean uh, tim kennedy is a is a fucking animal and there's been nobody who's really been able to deal with him. I feel like he's he's one of the dark horses of that division. And I think he's been kept out of the title picture for a little bit because of how vocal he is about the UFC and his, his distaste for some of the politics. Uh, which, you know, Tim Kennedy and Cowboy Cerrone and TJ Dillashaw and Cain Velasquez and former UFC welterweight champion George St. Pierre recently formed uh, some kind of boys club which is like an alliance it's not really a union but it's an athletic association and they have 
the ability to go on strike, I believe, and they're trying to rally all the fighters to try and get fair treatment. So this is brought about basically when the UFC was bought for $4 billion a couple of months ago, it was released that the fighters only make about 8% of the profit that the company takes in. So this alliance that was formed by these fighters, current and former fighters, and uh, Bjorn Redney, who was a you know former one of the former owners of Strike Force, who was you know full of corruption to his own right. So they they kind of formed this alliance, and their goal is to get fighters to be paid fifty percent of profits, which I certainly think is fair. I mean, they're the only reason people are watching and paying money uh, for this. So, you know, the money should be going to the fighters. Any thoughts on this athletic association, the MMAAA, I think they're calling it? Uh, dude, I'm all for it. I feel like the fighters lost a lot of money with the Reebok deal. Um, so the fact that they're trying to unionize and, you know, get some more rights and... A little bit more for them and what they do uh, I'm, I'm all for it man yeah I, I mean especially with someone like George St. Pierre who's come out and said you know I'm making more money now as an inactive fighter with the sponsors I have than I would be making if I came back to the UFC and got paid by Reebok um, so I mean it's fucked up there's, there's no other way to say it they need to pay these guys more uh, I, I don't necessarily know i don't i don't know if they're going about it in the right way or not or if they're partnering up with the right people i mean bjorn redney is you know a verified piece of shit i mean he's he's treated fighters very poorly in the past and it was well documented and now he's out saying how the fighters need to be treated better so i don't know what stake he has in this or what he stands to gain i'm sure it's something but the fact that he's involved uh, makes me a little suspicious uh hopefully it ends up benefiting the fighters I, I think it's a step in the right direction i don't know if it's you know a big step um because I don't, I don't know what an association can actually accomplish. But it's good that something is being done because, you know, it's bullshit. These guys are the ones, and, and girls are the ones getting in there and, uh, you know, putting their bodies at risk for the entertainment of people. And the people who are paying for that aren't, you know, aren't paying the fighters enough. So... You know, there needs to be a better distribution of wealth there for sure. Uh, one other fight I want to touch on in the UFC 206 card that really jumps out at me, uh, Lando Venata and John Mcdessey. I think this will be probably the sleeper fight on the card. It's It looks like it's on the undercard or, or the, uh, the prelims. Uh, so maybe on Fight Pass or Fox Sports 1 or something like that. I don't know if you remember Lando Venata is the guy who came in at the last minute to face Tony Ferguson when when Rafael dos Anjos pulled out the first time they were supposed to fight, and uh, Venata, you know, gave Ferguson a run for his money, almost knocked him out in the first round, and, and those guys had a slugfest. And uh, John Mcdessey always a, a game fighter, so I would definitely keep an eye on this fight. I think that's going to be a really exciting one. What do you think, Jeff? 
Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, I'd actually forgotten who Venata was up until you brought up his fight with Tony Ferguson. And, dude, if if that fight is any indication to what this kid can do, it's going to be a barn burner. Yeah, I mean, let's hope it wasn't just, like, a fluke. And he, he I mean, he came out reckless against Tony Ferguson, and it, and it worked. I mean, it was it was very similar to the first round of the uh, Mighty Mouse Tim Elliott fight last night, where you know Mighty Mouse was just thrown for a loop. He didn't really know what was coming at him. That's pretty much what Venata did to Tony Ferguson, and he rocked him. But uh, you know, credit to Tony Ferguson, he's got a great chin, and he was able to come back and and submit Venata. Uh, in any case, uh, we touched on a lot. We're we're uh, we're creeping up on an hour here, Jeff. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest before we wrap up? Uh, I got nothing. All right. Well, if you guys uh, want to get a hold of Jeff on social media, it's at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. Uh, make sure you get that underscore in there. Otherwise, you'll be talking to another animal, Wilson, who we suspect is an MMA fighter. So you may want to be talking to him, but... but um, you know, reach out to reach out to Jeff and, and let him know what you think about his opinions. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, as always, it's at MMA on the Rocks, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or MMA on the Rocks.com. You can send me a message on there if you like. If you don't want it to be public, you can send me an email. Uh, and also on YouTube now. So I started a YouTube channel a while ago, and I didn't have much content on it. But what I'm doing now are what I like to call shot casts. So they're shot-sized versions of the podcasts where I kind of give condensed updates, maybe five or ten minutes once a week, and I'll try to post those on Mondays. So the podcast is going to be going up every Sunday on schedule. And then, you know, during the week, if something happens, if there's a big event or if I get an interview or something like that, but uh, I'll be doing the, the YouTube thing and uh you know i do some drink recipes and show you how to make certain drinks uh, one of the first videos i have up there is my rum cider that i talked about a couple of episodes ago and uh you know i'll be doing the youtube thing so get on there subscribe check it out leave some feedback uh you can listen to the podcast if you're listening anywhere else you can get it on itunes google play stitcher or Podbean or any of those uh, podcast apps. So please subscribe on there and please leave a rating and feedback. Let me know what you're thinking and drinking. I'm always open to your opinions and definitely to your drink recipes. All right, that's all we got for this week. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.